Let, let me see your pencils. Come on. Lift them up. I, 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 I see the defiant ones. I see you, and the Lord certainly sees you too. Your little defiant spirit. Oh, I'm not going to pick up a pencil just because there's a sign there. <laughs> You're going to need it, all right? Uh, and uh, so have it. You might want to have it as we're reading through the, our second reading this morning. Um, I am starting a series of sermons uh, working through First uh, John. Uh, this morning, as a kind of overture, we're going to just hit some of the highlights uh, of this of this book. Um, a lot of these passages are very familiar to you. Um, you might want to make notations uh, in the reading. You'll find it there in your bulletin. I think I'm reading from the NASB. No? What do you think it is, Stephen? It's the NIV. Okay. It's not the, it's not the, uh, ESV. The, the Pew Bible is the ESV, but in this case, uh, we're gonna go with the NIV. Hear the word of the Lord. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim regarding the word of life. God is light and In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Do not love the world. If anyone loves the world, the love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it does not know Him. No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning because they've been born of God. For this is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. This is how we know what love is. Jesus laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome the world because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought 
to love one another. There is no fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. This is love for God, to keep his commands. And his commands are not burdensome. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Father God, you've called us from a lot of places this morning from different circumstances that we have faced this week, from troubles and blessings and trials and triumphs. And you've called us to set aside this hour, this week, to gather as brothers and sisters, as the body of Christ, to gather around your word and to gather around your table so that we can worship you. You have made us to worship you. That's why we're here. And so we thank you for the invitation this morning. We thank you for getting us up this morning. We pray for those who are not well, those of our number who are stuck at home because because their body is in the way, because their body is not responding to their spirit. Lord, we pray that the fellowship of the spirit would remain intact for those who are unable to be here in person, and for those who are able to be here in person but are not. Lord, we pray that you would send your Holy Spirit like a gadfly and give them no rest until they come to where they belong. Lord, you have called us out of the world. You have called us to be a nation of priests. You have consecrated us individually and as a church, to do your work, to accomplish your mission here in this world. And you have instructed us to gather on a regular basis to be strengthened and to be encouraged for that mission. We thank you for the leadership of this church, for our session and for our deacons who watch over the affairs of this church all week long, who make sure that the lights are on and the air conditioning works so that we can gather here on Sunday morning. We thank you for the volunteers and for the staff who put together the musical program of the church, who are here during the course of the week preparing and practicing and pulling together all of the details that are required so that we, in comfort, can worship you here for one hour. Father God, I pray that at this time you would turn our hearts away from the things of this world, from the concerns that so often weigh us down. I pray that you would lift them from us, let our hearts rise to you. May we be able, by the power of your Holy Spirit, to enter into worship this morning. May we know the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. May we feel connected with one another here in the body of Christ. 
may we feel connected to you. Father God, you have loved the church and you have died for the church. And so this morning we respond to your love with our love and we sing your praises. And we pray that you would be present with us as we dig now into your eternal word and later as we gather around your table to receive uh, your body and blood. You are God, we are your people. And we worship you this morning in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen. So for those of you who don't know me, my name is Dan Morrison. I used to preach in this church a while ago. Uh, I have been invited back uh, to preach again. I'm feeling a little uh, uneasy this morning because, well, you know, if you don't use it, you lose it. And so we're going to see, we're going to see what happens uh, this morning. We are starting a new sermon series through uh, the book of John. Uh, I call it the book of John. Maybe we should call it the pamphlet, the first pamphlet of John. It's not really a letter. It's not a full-blown book. It's sort of kind of like a sermon. I think it's mostly like a pamphlet. It has a number of topics. They are kind of knit together. There actually is a lot of theology in this book. Um, John is not a great theologian the way the Apostle Paul is. He is a man of a very warm heart and a very close connection to Christ and to the Father. You'll see that uh, in everything that he writes. Uh, but we're going to dig through this um, through this little book, through this pamphlet, uh, over the course of a number of weeks. But this morning, I wanted us to see some of the structural elements, some of the architecture uh, of this book, so that we could be alert to what's going on. As the weeks go by, we'll start pulling it apart piece by piece. All right. I'm also going to be reading this book in counterpoint with uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, okay, the so-called love chapter, okay, uh, this is often read at weddings, it has nothing to do with conjugal love, it has nothing to do with romantic love, it has nothing to do, actually, well, it doesn't have nothing to do with those, it has to do with love in the church, okay, First uh, Corinthians chapter 13 is instruction to the church about how the church is to love each other, so we're going to read the book of John, of 1 John, which is the book of the Bible that has the largest percentage of its verses being about love. We're going to read that in counterpoint to the love chapter, to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And so we're going to have these two great apostles, the apostle Paul, the great theologian of the church, and then also uh, the apostle John, the apostle uh, whom Jesus loved, as it says repeatedly. Uh, uh, in in the Gospel of John. So what I want to do this morning is I want to step through uh, this reading and I want to talk about three kinds of love and then I want to talk about uh, uh, the description of love that Paul gives. So the three kinds of love that are being described here in uh, our overture from First John uh, from First John are God's love for us. From God to us, our love for God, from us to God, and then our love for each other, okay, from us to other people. Okay, so there's, there are, the, the prepositions here actually do make a difference. So uh, our love, 
uh, God's love for us, our love for God, and and then our love uh, for one another. These are the three kinds of love. We're going to step through uh, this passage here, uh, and this is where you need your handy little pencil. Okay, you have the passage there um, in uh, your bulletin. You might want to open it up because I want to first walk through God's love for us. All right, so the sequence here will be. God has a love for us. In response to God's love for us, we will love God. And in the working out of loving God, we will love one another. Okay, It's not possible for you to properly love one another if you have not experienced the love of God. Maybe you have met thoroughly unlovable people. Typically, there are people who have not experienced the grace of God. All right. So first we're going to talk about God's love for us, our love for God, and then uh, our love for one another. So in the beginning, God's love for us. Take a look at uh, chapter 3, verse 1. I think the diversification is in there, isn't it? Oh, thank goodness it is. Okay. See what great love the Father has lavished on us. I love that word, lavished. Not a little love, like a lot of love. Okay, This is an abundant love. This is a rich love. This is a luxurious love that God has for us. See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God. The Bible teaches that all people are created by God. We are creatures of God, in the same way frogs and turtles are creatures of God. The Bible does not teach that all people are the children of God. All right. Sometimes the world gets confused about this. You'll hear messages from the world that suggest that all people are the children of God. The Bible never says that. The Bible says that we are creatures of God, but that some are the children of God. And this category of being a child of God is a consequence of God's love for us. When we are a child of God, we are made a brother or sister of whom? Say it. Jesus. Okay? So one of the consequences of experiencing the love of God is we become a brother or sister to Jesus. One of the things you need to know is is that by being grafted into Christ through faith, everything that belongs to Christ belongs to us. It's called union with Christ. All right? He's our brother. We're going to be joint heirs. His righteousness becomes our righteousness. His perfect record becomes our perfect record. The claims in glory... The joint rule that we will uh, have over the new heavens and the new earth, that's our inheritance as children of God. Now, this is not merely being a creature of God. This isn't, this isn't just being, being a human who's on the planet. This is a special status. See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God and that is what we are. Okay, this also should signal us anytime we're reading a passage of scripture, we need to ask ourselves two questions. Number one, who is speaking? Okay, and the person who's speaking here is the Apostle John. He's the only Apostle who was not martyred. All right, he ended up living a very long time, probably into his 90s. Uh, John, 
uh, was one of the twelve. He was there at the Last Supper. Um, John uh, ends up becoming, I guess you would call him a bishop uh, in what we now call Turkey. And so he was the, the lead man who oversaw a number of churches uh, in Turkey. And so this is John writing, John the Apostle writing, and he's writing to the church. So everything that we read here is a word for the church. And I mention this to you because sometimes the Bible is speaking to people who are not yet in the church. Okay, There are two categories of people in the world. Those who are in the church and those who are not yet in the church. All right, And the Bible speaks to them in a different way. So this is a message... From our bishop, John, the bishop of Turkey, to the church, to the people who've been redeemed, to the people who are the children of God. So that's the first verse that talks about the love of God. The second verse that talks about the love of God is verse 316. This is how we know what love is. Christ laid down his life for us. You want to know what love looks like? It looks like Christ laying down his life for us. Now, one of the problems that we have in our culture is that love, uh, and I don't know when this started, maybe 200 years ago, maybe 150 years ago, love in our culture has been associated with romantic desire. All right, you know, we've talked about this before, that there are four words in Greek for love. One of them is eros. Okay, this is uh, erotic love, sexual love, romantic love. It's the love of desire. Okay, when you desire something and you want to possess it. Eros always wants to possess the thing that it loves. All right, so usually when the world is talking about love or love, they mean eros. The word eros, you want to know how many times it appears in the Bible? Woo! Zero. Okay? So just remove that idea from your head. It's got nothing to do when the Bible's talking about love. It's not talking about this. Um, uh, the word love shows up 44 times uh, in First John. It's always agape. Or some form of agape, which is self-giving love. It's become the kind of uh, central understanding of love in the Christian world. It's the description of love that was distinctive even at the time that John is talking. All right. The other two kinds of love are storge, which is the love that we have for our tribe. Okay, we love our people. Okay, that could be your nation, that could be your family, that tribal love. And the other one is phileo, which is the love of, that brothers have for each other. Friendship. Okay, friendship does st- show up uh, in the Bible, uh, but eros does not. Okay, so how is it that we know that this wh- what this love is? Well, it involves Christ laying down his life for us. Central characteristic of love is that it is sacrificial. It gives up what it has. Verse four, uh, chapter ten, uh, chapter four, verse ten. This is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. 
Alright, so these are the three verses about God's love for us. Okay, we're children of God. God's love is made known in Christ laying down his life for us. And then in, uh, in chapter 4, verse 10, this gets explained a little bit more fully. Well, what that means by laying down his life for you is, is that actually he gave his life up as a sacrifice for you. If you want to talk about God's love for you, what that means essentially and primarily, fundamentally, is that Jesus came into this world to die to pay a judicial penalty for your sin. That's what an atonement means. Okay, the, Christ is an atoning sacrifice. There is no love of God for the world without the cross of Jesus Christ. What God accomplishes in the cross of Jesus Christ is he takes care of our number one problem. Our number one problem is we are alienated from God We go our own way, we're involved in sin, and sin separates us from God. Alright? That sin has to be dealt with. It will be dealt with in eternity. There are two options. There's heaven and there's hell. Those who have received the atoning sacrifice of Christ are with God forever. Those who do not uh, uh, receive the atoning sacrifice, sacrifice of Christ suffer God's punishment forever. Okay, so God's love for us is this is his willingness to die himself to solve our biggest problem. And notice this about our biggest problem. We we made this problem. You know, sometimes people feel charitable toward other people when they're suffering from circumstances that were beyond their control. We feel sorry for them because there's been a flood or there's been a tornado or or maybe they're, they've been in an abusive relationship and have just escaped. We feel, we feel sorry for people who've suffered for reasons that are not of their own making. Divine love is God feeling sorry for us for the trouble that we made for ourselves. Okay? Some people's hearts get hard against people who've just messed up their own lives and you're like, well, of course you're in that condition. You've, you brought it on yourself. Well, here's the big news. We have brought it on ourselves and those of you who are not in the ditch this morning are no better than those who are in the ditch this morning. And it's only by the grace of God that you're not in the ditch this morning. Some of you have been pulled up out of the ditch and you know what that experience is like. God loves us while we're in the ditch that we drove into willfully and joyfully. God laid down his life so that we could be redeemed and made whole. This is the great love, that God has compassion on us even though we've messed it up ourselves. And he sends his own son into this world to die for us and to redeem us. Okay, that's God's love for us. Number two, our love for God. First place we see that is... I've got this color coded, okay... So I've got the gray for God's love for us and then the blue for our love for him and then I've got the black in our love for each other. So and the light up here, I'm having a little trouble distinguishing the gray from the blue here. So just give me a second here, I'll get this figured out. 
blue. Oh, so, uh, so the first place we see, uh, our love for God. Mm-hmm-hmm-hmm. I see it there. Okay, hold on, check. Check. Okay, there are two places. One is, let me start at verse 4, 418. 418. There is no love, there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because Fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in in love. Okay, there's one thing. So you understand that one of the problems that people have with God is is that because we've sinned, we stand under we stand under the threat of His judgment. When we come to faith in Jesus Christ, one of the one of the consequences of coming to faith in Jesus Christ is that fear of God as the judge goes away. Why? Because the punishment has gone away. Why has the punishment gone away? Because the punishment was born for us on the cross. Okay? Christ cannot punish the children of God because he already punished his own son. Do you understand that? So God does not punish Christians. He'll chastise you. Sometimes you need, you need a correction or a word of warning, but he will not punish you as a lost person. Why? Because that punishment already landed on his son. Alright? So, as a result of having, uh, being freed from the threat of punishment, we no longer have fear. We, as Christians, stand before God and, you know, we are just not, we're not worried about God smiting us. And if he does smite us in discipline, we know that it's for our own good and for our own blessing. And so we have a very, very different feeling about this. So our love for God uh, has to be born out of the fact that we are freed from the fear of this punishment. If I have a relationship with someone that I think is going to conk me over the head, that's not a loving relationship. All right, that's a twisted relationship. I mean, there are people who are in those sort of those kinds of relationships, but that's not a loving relationship. Our relationship to God the Father is one that is going to be free of fear. Okay, now the the, the key place here though is uh, ch- chapter five, verse three. This is love for God. Now here's the little description to keep His commands. And his commands are not burdensome. You say you love God? Keep his commands. You want to know who loves God? Take a look who's keeping his commands. Alright? It's a very simple equation. This is love for God to keep his commands. This is what we're called to. We're called to lives of holiness. And we do this out of love for God. Now, number three, I see my clock ticking. This is terrible, John. Five more minutes, and then I have to shut up? Okay. John John promised to be my timekeeper this morning. God's love for us, he lays down his life for us. Our love for him is we're, we're not afraid of him anymore, but we follow his commands. How about then our love for one another? Our love for one another. Well, let me first read this. We're going to explore this a little more fully, but I, let me just lob it out there like a hand grenade. Chapter 2, verse 15, do not love the world or anything in the world. You just need to hear that as the word of God. Do not love the world. 
or anything in this world. We'll talk about that more fully. But so that's, that's one side of love for others. Take a look though in, in, in uh, chapter 3 verse 16 and following. We ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. By the way, this is code, brothers and sisters, is code for the, for the church. Okay, there's the world and there's the church. Church we call the brothers and the sisters. We are to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Okay, if you love God, how do I, how do I demonstrate it? Well, I do it by laying down my life for one another. It's what we're supposed to do in the church. We're supposed to support one another. It gets actually rather concrete. Verse 17, if anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love be in, love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with action or truth. If we love people in the church with the Christian love, it's going to cost us something. Sometimes it's cash. Sometimes people just need cash. They need, honest to God, they need some money. Okay? The rent has come due. They don't, they don't know how to pay it. And if they don't get the rent, they're going to be living in their minivan. There's times when love is cash. Sometimes it's other things though. Sometimes it's respect. Sometimes it's attention. Sometimes it's your time. Sometimes it's your involvement in their life, but all of it is a kind of laying down our lives for that other person. We are called to love one another in the body of Christ by laying down our life, by giving up our life. If you come to church because of how well you are served by the church... Because the preaching is good and the music is good and the cushions are soft and the air conditioning's cold. If you're coming to church for those reasons, you're in the wrong place. Huntington Valley Country Club is up that way. We come into the church to serve and not to be served. We come into the church to lay down our lives for one another. And the people who prepared this place for you this morning to make it work and to make it comfortable, they did it because they love you. They want you to be comfortable. There's nothing wrong with being comfortable. Okay? But that's not why we're here. We're not here to be served. We're here to serve other people. Dear friends, this is uh, chapter 4, verse 11. Dear friends, since God loved us, we ought to love one another. Chapter 4, verse 19, we love because he first loved us. Our love for one another is a working out of our love for God, and it is it is done in community. Now let me go down to my last point, because I see someone's going to stand up in the back and tell me that it's time to quit. Let's go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. You know this passage. Some of you have it memorized. Some of you have it tattooed on your arms. Love is patient. Let's just start there. Well, let me read the whole thing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. Think about people who dishonor others with their lips. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no 
record of wrongs. Okay, this is, this is Paul's fuller description of what agape is, of what Christian love is, of what love is within the body of Christ. And it begins with patience. And it begins with patience because he, he, Paul, by the power of the Holy Spirit, knew that one day I would have to read this passage and the hardest thing in the world for me to do is to be patient with you all. You are vexing people. I'm trying to work on my dissertation and you keep coming in my office. You keep calling me. Some of you died and made me do your funeral. Like, I've got time to do this? The human heart is selfish. It's a biological thing. I don't know. It's just biological and I have it in an extreme degree. And so for me, a regular test of my Christian identity is how patient I can be with all of you. I know that God sent you to me to be a test. All right. Well, how are you doing? Pull this pencil out right now. John, you can sit down. I see you. Don't test me. Who in your life have you been impatient with? Who in your life is vexing to you? And they walk in, they call, and you're like, "Ah." I want you to write their name in your bullet. Don't write their name. Write a code name, okay? (laughs) Old Pickle Nose or something like that. Because I don't want to pick up bulletins and see my name written all over them. (laughs) I want you to think about the person that you have been short with Notice what patience requires. Patience requires that I lay down my life. Why is it that I'm impatient with you? Because i got things that I want to do with my life and you're interfering with it. But what is it that I'm called to? I'm called to give up those things that I want to do. Why? Because you need to be served. It's as simple as that. Who is it that you need to be served that man... mm, you just feel really impatient with. I don't hear pencils scribbling. You done? Joan, did you write something down? Okay. Joan's very easygoing. She she is not impatient. <laughs> And when we're done, we're going to pray about it. So that you can love these people. The way they need to be loved. Let's pray. Father God. Lord God, you have been patient with us time and time again. How many times have we abused your patience? How many times have we broken your law? How many times have we just openly defied you? 
How many times have we known what we should do and we said, well, I'm just not going to do that. And yet you've been patient and patient and patient and patient. Lord, we pray now for these individuals who we find vexing. Lord, help us lay down our lives for them. Help us die to ourselves. as an act of worship to you. Amen. Thank you, Dan. That was, there were so 